First Timothy has been a, a book rich in teaching, uh, rich in content, rich in wisdom, and I believe it's preparing us for the next book, the next season, as we'll be studying the Gospel of Matthew and uh, Jesus' ministry from that perspective. It is a unique book in that uh, Matthew, Levi, wrote that book to the Jewish nation, so it is full of um, Old Testament prophecy and, and a lot of uh, I believe will be very interesting teaching. Looking forward to that. Um, the last few weeks, we've had a fair amount of coaching as to how we are to live as a church, as men, as women, as church leaders, and it has been a mirror for us. Um, it's been very life-giving, I, I trust, to you. I know it has to me. Today, we're going to shift to more of an outward, outward approach of how we interact with others. As I was studying, I found this list. I thought it was very, very interesting. Um, these are the different ways that the New Testament church is described, different titles. First, we are a holy nation. That means we share a common citizenship. We have the same spiritual race. We are a holy nation and a common citizen of that nation. We are a kingdom. We have common submission to the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's Christ Jesus. We are a priesthood. Um, we are all priests, the Bible says. <clears throat> that emphasizes our common privilege. Each and every one of us, if you are a believer, you have no need for an intermediary. You, we have the great high priest in Christ Jesus himself. That means that we all have unlimited access to the presence of God. We are a temple. We share a common doctrine. We are a temple built on the foundation of the apostles with the chief cornerstone being Christ Jesus himself. We have a common doctrine and a common teaching. We are a body. We have a common life. Paul uses the analogy of a body. He emphasizes our common life, that we are interdependent upon each other. And the, the flow of life flows through us in an interchange of the gifts and the ministry that each and every one of us has a privilege of sharing. We are an assembly. We have a common calling we're an assembly of the redeemed. It emphasizes that we are each called. We are called together, assembled together. We are gathered together in the presence of God. We are a flock. We have a common need. We need someone to lead us and to feed us, and that someone is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, we are a family we share a common love. We are bound together in intimate, loving relationships through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where we have been studying in 1 Timothy is being a family, the family of God. Paul says this in chapter 3 that um, we, he's writing this letter so that we will know how we ought to conduct ourselves in God's household, in the family of God. So let's look at uh, verse 1 of chapter 5. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, 
but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with absolute purity. As I read this passage, it reminded me of a book that my parents gave me in college called The Book of Virtues by William Bennett. It is a great book, rich in wisdom, even for a modern day book. But uh, here we have instruction. It's directed, obviously, towards Timothy as the pastor. But just like last week could be for all of us, so is this. Uh, These first two verses, we have instruction uh, really on how to interact with anybody. It begins um, with men, older men. But remember, uh, last week we saw in verse 12, uh, Paul says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Timothy is obviously young for his age. It is uh, uh, understood that he uh, became a believer and uh, in his teens, and he um, ministered with Paul for approximately 20 years, but that would put him in his mid-30s. And so to be the leader of a very large church network in the Ephesian church, he was very young. So this is Uh, I would say words of advice on leadership. Do not rebuke an older man harshly. Now, the word rebuke uh, leads me to believe that Paul is talking specifically about sin. But notice it says, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. We don't use the word exhort very much in our culture today, but it means to strongly encourage or urge someone to do something. Now, whether it's true sin or just growing up in your salvation, um, common sense would be a word that we could use throughout this entire chapter. Um, Common sense should prevail. Treat him as if he were your father. Or for older women, treat them as mothers. Regardless of what type of father you had, what type of mother you had, all of us are born with a sense of what the perfect father, the perfect mother should be. And and we are, I mean, that's hardwired in us, but no one is perfect. None of us had the perfect father or mother, but we know what that looks like. It's God. God is the only perfect Father, and he is truly perfect. But regardless of what type of father or mother you had, we are all called to pay respect to our elders. Leviticus chapter 19 says, Stand up in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly. Of course, the Ten Commandments um, honor your father and mother, it's the only commandment that comes with a promise that you will live long. You may live long in the land. So the thought process here, and and again, we can take this through the entire chapter, is these two words, honor and respect. That is something that is terribly lacking in our culture today. Honor and respect. Well, what do you do if, if you're right, though? What if you're right? Well, 
You still aren't supposed to rebuke them harshly. You're to exhort them, to strongly encourage or urge them to do what is right. Now, with youth often comes uh, insecurity, comes immaturity. And so, again, I believe that this is just counsel from Paul on how Timothy should deal with those that he is pastoring uh, makes me think about when you start a new job. You know, you get a new job and um, you're the new guy. You're the low guy on the totem pole. And if you're not careful, you can walk in and say, well, I know how to do this. I can, I'll show you how to do it. But you don't have any experience and you certainly don't have any authority. And so your words are going to fall flat. It's not going to work out well. So um, you still show respect. You show respect even when they're unrespectable. You show respect until they're respectable. That's a long-term strategy, I believe, for husbands and wives, for um, children who are under a parent that doesn't know the Lord, you still are commanded to show respect even when they are unrespectable. You notice he also says treat younger men as brothers, younger women as sisters. I have two brothers. Many of you met uh, my two brothers, John and Dave, this summer when they were here. Uh, when, when we grew up, we were not allowed to fight. We, uh, in fact, I've never been in a physical altercation with anybody. So I'm, I'm uh, a cultural virgin when it comes to that. Um, in fact, when we were just like getting crossways with each other, my mom would step in and she would make us apologize to each other, make us forgive each other, and then hug. So by the time we got to hug, we were laughing and it worked. So parents in the room, maybe you should try that uh, if you have children that fight. Um, that may not have been the way it was in your home. But I also think about the, the story of the prodigal son. The older brother was not portrayed well, was he? He was jealous. He was full of envy and pride. And older brothers are to be leaders. Older brothers are to be protectors. They're to be providers. They're to be teachers. Um, Michael is our oldest. And when he was 13, we went on a, an out-of-town long weekend trip. We went to Canton, Ohio to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We were both really interested in football at the time. It was a, just a great weekend. But I had set aside and planned that weekend um, as the time when we would have the talk. So we would have the manhood talk, and we would cover all the bases, including sex and, and behavior and all the stuff, and then we wrote a contract. And uh, there were certain things that he was committing to and certain things that I was going to commit to. Um, he had to commit that he was not going to date a non-believer. He was not going to marry someone without our blessing. He was going to honor his father and mother. And he was going to be good 
to his sisters. And he wrote those down. I was not ever going to be unfaithful to his mother. I was not ever going to leave the family. I was always going to have him in a place where he could be spiritually fed. Um, and you know, we wrote all of these things down. There were a number of them. Uh, and then we both signed them. And uh, that was just a, a, a memory that I cherish. Uh, you know, he has an expectation to lead his, um, to lead his sisters in, in a way that really endorses what they have been taught to believe. He carries that responsibility. Notice it also says with purity. Um, we have a, a rule here. Um, it's not unspoken. It's spoken of. I don't know that it's written down anywhere, but men minister to men and women minister to women. And we do that. That's just a hard line a boundary that we have. Um, one of the ways that we have done that, where we've lived that out, is we have the Mill City Hug. And the Mill City Hug is, if it's, if, if it's a, a non-spouse uh, opposite gender, guys, this, a side hug is all, is all we can give. So if, and I'm not a hugger, so any of you try to move in for a hug, that's fine. I, I, I would not choose that as a greeting. But, um, you know, if somebody comes in for a hug, I would move to, my, to the side and I would give a Mill City side hug. That's just the way it is. Um, I'll boob hug guys. That's cool. But I'm not, not, uh, not with the ladies. And, and so I had a conversation when we first put that out that um, uh, somebody came up to me that was like, eh, I don't know about that. And, and I'm a hugger. And... and he had gone to like a garage sale or something uh, down the street and this woman came up and hugged him and he was like, whoa, that was, I didn't expect that. And it wasn't that there were any feelings there. There was just like a lightning bolt. And um, it's true. There's just a line. We have to walk with purity here. You treat younger women as your sister. You treat younger men like your brother, your little brother. You teach them, lead them. You treat older men and women like your parents. It, what is it? It's honor and respect, up and down, up and down. Um, I'm reminded of Galatians chapter 6. Paul says, brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, not harshly, gently. But watch out because you're not perfect either. You need to be very careful with how you um, deal with anyone and everyone because you are not perfect either and you can fall just as quickly as anybody else. Notice he says, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that they're something and they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. They can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to anyone else. I'm, this is one of the few areas that I think the NIV could be worded a little bit differently. I would say um, thanksgiving. It, be thankful for how God uses you. Don't compare yourself to somebody else. It's not a, a sinful pride as much as it is a, um, 
being thankful for how God can use you, the ministry that God's given you, and don't try to compare yourself to anybody else. Look at this, for each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, anyone who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Instructor, This passage here can also help us to understand the next several verses back in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family. And so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow, verse 9, may be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60, has been faithful to her husband, is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus, they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going from house to house. Not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, to give, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can, come, can help those widows who are really in need. Now, that's a big chunk of Scripture, uh, very similar, same thought process here. It is a passage that hits close to home for us because both Sandy and I lost our fathers in the last two years, mine in uh, 2020 and then hers last August. My mother is now 38 months in a nursing home with severe dementia um, and ha really has been since the beginning. Sandy's mom lives with us and her sisters in different seasons, so she's just kind of gone from house to house to house and uh, it's worked out well for us. Uh, she um, is well taken care of by the family. And uh, we believe that that is our responsibility. Uh, in this time of history, though, that we're, we're reading through, and really throughout all history uh, up until just a few decades ago, women simply did not have the means to survive without their husband. And um, there was no social security, so they became dependent on their sons because their daughters were in the same social predicament. And so a gracious God, recognizing a need, provides for it 
by providing the church family. The church family steps in. James puts it this way, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows. Now couple that with Malachi chapter two. I hate divorce, says the Lord. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. Now why include this? Because throughout history, women have been at a disadvantage in income and provision. And once again, God provides a church family to step in and care for those who are in need. But look again at these two verses in Galatians 6. It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. But verse 5, he says, for each one should carry their own load. <clears throat> now, this is the tail end of a, of a verse talking about ministry. But use that in going back to 1 Timothy 5. Verse 3 says, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. A widow who is really in need and left alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. God helps them by providing a church family to help with that. As for younger widows, verse 11, don't put them on a list because, and we read that earlier. Okay. Now, I don't believe Paul is being callous here. Um, if you say he's being callous, then you have to say the Holy Spirit is being callous, which means God is being callous, and that's just not the case. Um, I would say it again, common sense. Common sense says we carry each other's burdens, but each one should carry their own load. It's both and. We believe in a hand up here, not a hand out. We believe in a hand up. Let, let us help you. We are called to be the church, but that means different things in different situations. Here we have two different examples of how to be the church. If you have a grandparent or a parent in need and you have the means or you have the ability, being the church means taking care of them yourself. If a widow who is really in need being the church means that we as a church take care of them. A hand out, if you want to know what happens when everything is a hand out, just take a pulse of the United States of America today. Go to any restaurant, I challenge you today, and you will see a help wanted sign. Virtually any employer right now is looking for someone who can step in and be an, an employee with good work ethic, because we don't have it here. We've aged out of work ethic here in the United States because we have a culture of give me what I want for the least amount that I have to put into it. And that's not 
God's plan for his church. For younger widows, I would say being the church means caring for them in their time of need, but caring for them in a way that encourages them to continue with their life, to live their life. Um, Idleness is not healthy, period. In any way, in any person. I also believe that this, um, this heart... Uh, this is the heart of the Lord, and this is how we have established the market, for example, is to provide for people both physically and spiritually. Because when people come here to, um, to use the market, they go and they check in and they fill out their list of needs, and then they go to church. And then when they're done with church, then they come back and we load their car. That's the heart behind the ministry. We want to feed them and take care of their physical needs, but at the same time, we want them to find the Lord. They need the Lord. Every single one of us needs the Lord. I believe that we have a ministry here that takes care of the entire family, and so why not expose them to the ministry? Now, uh, one of our uh, faithful members, uh, Bill Soriel, who uh, uh, is here actually every service, and serves every service. He's been here about a year and a half. And he told me just a few weeks ago, he said, um, I was actually really, I came here because of the market, and I was really kind of put off when they told me I had to go to church. But he got saved. And now he serves every single service, Sunday, both services. He, He attends, he serves on a prayer team, and then he serves on Wednesday nights, and his life has been radically changed. Praise God. That's the heart behind the ministry. Praise God for that. Um, Verse 17, church leaders. The elders who direct the affairs of the church are well worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while he is treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God in Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and do nothing out of favoritism. Honor and respect. Um, We see that throughout this entire chapter and even bleeding into chapter 6 where we will end. Um, Honor and respect your elders, um, those who are older than you, those who are younger than you. Honor and respect those who are in need. And honor and respect those who are leading you in the faith. Um, Here Paul gives us two specific areas, I believe. First is in compensation. Uh, Ministry is work. Ministry is work. I don't just show up here on Sunday morning, um, open up the scripture, read it, and then tell you what it means. There are hours that goes into every Sunday morning. Um, I'm not swinging a hammer up here. But I can tell you, when, I'm, when I leave here on Sunday morning, I am wiped out. Power nap took on a whole new meaning seven years ago for me. Um, 
And it just, it's just different. There's an emotional output that comes and, and being ministering to people, um, it just, it, it takes a lot out. Um, the worker deserves his wages here, Paul says. Um, he says double honor. God respects the office of the minister. More, I think more so than he respects the man. Just look at Saul. I had the privilege of uh, reading a book 20 years ago called Undercover by John Bevere. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. Undercover. I uh, ended up teaching, um, teaching the book for about a year. And um, God really blessed me by having a father who taught me that, honoring those who are in authority over me. The book covers all areas whether it's in the home or in the workplace, in the church, in the community. And God um, instructs us to honor those who are in authority, but especially those who are in ministry. Um, now, we're different here at Mill City because we're bivocational. That means I have a full-time job. All of our ministry, uh, everyone on staff, um, has a full-time job, either um, uh, either spouse or both spouses, in fact. And um, we do not have the weight here uh, of an obligation of a full-time salary or benefits package here at the church. It gives us tremendous flexibility. Uh, but we do compensate our staff, and we're blessed to be able to do this. We have had a heart of honor that has been a part of this church since day one. And uh, I am blessed to be a, uh, a leader of this church. And um, I'll just ask you, when you come across a staff member, um, express your appreciation to them often because um, it, is a, it is over and above uh, that we are involved here at the church. And the church would not be what it is without our staff. There's a second area of honor and respect. Um, it's grace. I've said it the last two weeks, I am not perfect. Uh, I just said boob. I said boob hug. <laughs> My mom would be deeply <laughs> wounded by that, but she doesn't watch anymore, and so I'm safe there. Uh, you know, I'm not perfect, and our staff is not perfect, and neither are you. And um, we are held to a higher standard by God himself. That's true. Um, but there's a reason for it. You might have heard this statement, those who can do and those who can't teach. Um, as a former teacher, I feel confident that I can say that. Uh, but that isn't fair. And that is not a blanket statement of truth. However... If you can do it, then your words carry more weight. I mean, Phil Jackson, Phil Jackson can walk into any NBA team and get them probably to the finals within two years. Bill Parcells, same thing. I mean, why? Because he's done it. He knows how to do it. They know how to do it. They know how to win, and they're going to take a team and make them better. Why? Because they've done it. Their words carry weight. 
Um, the opposite is that new guy trying to tell the old guy how to do it. And um, that's just not how things work. Um, but listen to this. Just because I have this job that doesn't make me perfect and God extends grace to me, and you should too. That is my request. Because God works through imperfect vessels. It's actually the only way that he can work through humanity because there is no one perfect. What Paul is saying here is to be careful not to hold your pastor or church leaders, I believe, to a standard higher than you are willing and able to live yourself. The shoe can pinch when it's on the other foot, I can assure you of that. And remember also Matthew chapter 18. I believe he is referencing this for a reason. Because if you have an issue with someone, Jesus says you go to them personally. You don't go tell anybody else. You go to that person. The same thing applies to me. The same thing applies to all of the church leaders. The last thing you need to be doing is taking your grievances to your friends before bringing them to the person who has offended you. If you think problems, um, if you think about the problems, perhaps if you've been in the church for a long time, that have arisen between the pastor and a, an individual, even a leader, co-pastor, ministry leader, whatever, just a, 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 a parishioner, um, a lot of it stems from instead of resolving it between them, they go tell the others. And, and if you've ever been part of a church split, it's, it's incredibly painful. Because instead of saying, hey, you know, pastor, you said this, I'm not really sure what you meant by that. I mean, I've had people that have graciously come to me and asked me a very specific question. I am not above reproach, and I am very happy to respond to any question. And a lot of times, it's something I never even said. It was just heard this way. And a lot of times, that's a filter. A lot of times, that's, you know, they, they, they grab hold of one thing. My dad tells the story, um, pastor came up, to, or some lady came up to, to uh, the pastor and said, uh, Pastor, you know what you said? If you said that to me today, I would not know where to begin. Well, I'm not sure. What do you mean? You said britches. Now, this was a long time ago. Britches apparently was a bad. And he said, well, what did I say before that? I don't know. Well, what did I say after that? I don't know. Well, it's a good thing I said britches or else you would have gotten nothing out of the message, okay? So sometimes you get locked in on something. We're all human, right? But instead of going to me, you go to somebody else. Or worse yet, you go to your life group. Well, you know what Pastor said. You know, I heard he said, boop, from the stage. What? Side hugs? I'm a hugger. Don't you know it's okay to hug? And then they build this little camp over here, and now everybody's jumping up and down. I have no idea what's going on until now it's up into the stratosphere, and I'm dealing with this. You know who gets hurt in those things? The church. It's well beyond the pastor and his family and the individual, the other, the opposing party. The entire church family 
gets hurt. And I believe that this is part of this passage is to protect the family. Listen, if you got a problem, go to the person, whether it's me or somebody that's in your life group or somebody that you, you I mean, that, this, that's what Jesus says. You got a problem, go to that person one-on-one. And if, you, if they listen to you, you've won your brother. And then it's over. Praise God. That's the plan. But notice also he says, to keep these instructions without partiality and do nothing out of favoritism. Um, Leaders are held to a higher standard. There's also a different, um, there is a different pattern or process for discipline. It's to be done in public so that you are all scared to death. That's pretty much the, rest, the thought process there. Holy moly, I, I see what that has done. I don't want to be a party of it. It's also, notice he says, without partiality and do nothing out of favoritism, uh, we don't sweep anything under the rug. Lots of churches have failed because they hid sin. They didn't follow the Lord's instruction in this particular passage here out of, you know, they try to protect the family, they try to protect my position, they don't want, you know, and and the truth is God has a way of protecting his church when we are obedient, who is charged with discipline. Um, Paul disciplined Hymenaeus and Alexander, but he charges Timothy with that same authority Throughout this entire book, there is an authority structure. We talked about it when we were talking about women uh, in leadership. And as the leader of this church, that is my charge. I'm responsible for that, and I will answer for how that is done. But I, too, am under authority. I am not um, a a rogue out here with no one in authority over me. Uh, The Constitution and bylaws of Mill City Church puts the deacon board, uh, gives a process for the deacon board to exercise authority over me. Um, Ultimately, the Assemblies of God District here in in Wisconsin has authority over me. They appointed me to this position. They can take me out. So, uh, you know, there's a process for that, and and I don't say that to scare you, but uh, I say it to scare me. Um, Verse 22. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. I believe this is uh, very similar to what Paul is saying in chapter 3 when he was talking about appointing leaders too early. Um, There he mentions the risk of pride. Here he's talking about the warning of installing a leader when the, he says laying on of hands, that's, uh, that's talking about leadership before actually knowing them. And just our short seven-year period of time, uh, whenever we have had someone new to the church who has approached us about either starting a ministry or leading a ministry or something that we're not doing, and we've said, wait, let's wait on the timing of the Lord to a person, that person has left the church in, in a very short period of time. 
and it just exposes and it, and it further strengthens our position of we're not in a hurry to do anything. We are in a hurry to do things that God's called us to do in the time that God's called us to do them. And if somebody comes and says, hey, I want to do this, and we say, let's wait, and they leave, well, that just tells us that their heart wasn't to serve the, the Lord in the ministry. Their heart was to do what they wanted to do. And um, I believe that's part of what, um, what Paul was saying here. Time will reveal true colors. And the dangers of sin in leadership is it has long fingers. When there's sin in the camp, then it rolls down to the rest of the church. And um, that in that way, we are sharing in the sins of others from that perspective. We need to be pure. Uh, verse 23, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Now, I'm sure some of you were waiting for this verse over the past couple of weeks. Oh, yeah, well, we'll see what he does with this. Um, uh, Paul's not condoning drinking alcohol here. Uh, if water is bad in some areas of the world today, then you can imagine what the quality of water was in the first century. Uh, clearly, uh, Timothy had a, an intestinal problem, digestive problem, and I would say this is more of a quality of water thing than a alcohol thing. That's my perspective on it, and that's all I have to say about that. Uh, chapter 32 of Numbers, though, this is all leadership. Uh, I think this is all kind of couched in leadership. Um, there were two tribes, the Gadites and the Reubenites, who wanted to stay on this side of the Jordan. And Moses initially thought, well, that's because you don't want to fight with us to take the promised land. And they assured him, no, that's not the case. We're going to go fight. And so he says, okay, well, if you fail to do that, then you'll be sinning against the Lord. My mom used to always quote this part of the verse, be sure that your sin will find you out. That's true. And this is the same thing with leadership. Some sins, verse 24, uh, are obvious, reaching a place of judgment ahead of them. Some trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. Jesus put it this way, you'll know them by their fruit. I had somebody approach me several weeks ago about their life group and a decision that was made. Uh, and he's, he said, Pastor, I've, I'm really torn here. I'm, I'm struggling because I love my life group leader and I, and I believe in them. And, uh, but I really, my heart hurts for this individual that's involved. I said, well, I'm going to stop you right there because I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so here's my perspective. Uh, as a leader... There are some decisions that have to be made for the good of the whole that have a negative effect on a few. And a decision has to be made. And we, and we make the decision and we move on. Even in a small group like a life group. And, and I said, you know, you, you don't know. There's no way that you know all the factors here. You don't know the backstory. You don't know what went on. And really, it's none of your business. And many of you... Um, 
you have no idea some of the things that we have had to deal with with individuals in this ministry. And the truth is, it's none of your business. And you wouldn't want to make a mistake and have a conversation with somebody and then me get up here and tell everybody about what you did. Uh, and so the same thing goes. And I said, listen, just trust in your leader and, um, and be blessed by that. And it wasn't two weeks later, he came up to me and he thanked me for what I said. And the truth is, um, you can take a single issue and elevate it to a point where you dis completely disregard and disqualify all of the fruit that's there. I can assure you of this. God's timing is perfect. And he is full of grace. And he cares more about his ministry than you or I ever could. And, and when you're offended by somebody's actions or words, if you see an area of improvement in somebody's life and you're tempted to rebuke them, um, or you find it very difficult to show them honor and respect, then you can be sure of this one thing. God is still in control. He is fully in control. And you can still be obedient. You can still be submissive and leave judgment in God's very capable hands. When it comes to leadership, you don't know the entire story. You don't know the backstory. And you don't have all the details. But God does. And you can and should make a judgment based on the overall fruit that is evident because by their fruit, you will know them. Worship team can come and, and I want to just close with this because it really comes down to what Paul says in, in chapter six in verse one. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Why show honor and respect to our elders, whether it's in age or it's in authority or position, in the church, in the community, in the home? Why? So that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. The world is watching. Your world is watching. If you profess to be a Christian, people around you should know that by now. And unless I miss my guess, there's a higher percentage of people around you that are not believers than are. And they're watching you. And we could drill to China on these verses and come up with all kinds of teaching. But what I felt like the Lord was speaking to us today is as the family of God, we are to show honor and respect to everyone 
that we come in contact with. Whether it's at home or at church or at work. And no matter where you are or what your age or what your position, respect and honor are expected of you if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you represent God. That's what it means to be Christ's ambassador. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You are Christ's ambassador. It's as if God is making his case to your world through you. What are they seeing? And when we show disrespect and dishonor, then God's name and his word can be slandered. We live in a double standard world. That's just the way it is. And there's nothing you and I can do about it. My heart gets really heavy at this time of year because I know that beginning this week, there are many people who are faced with relationships that are broken, strife, family dinner, you know, Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner, or, you know, this whole season is couched with potential dumpster fires. And you have the opportunity to share the love of Christ with your family. Many of whom don't know him or at best are far from him. And the truth is that past behavior for, for many their past behavior has not represented Christ very well. And it gives people the opportunity to slander Christ, to slander his teaching. And my prayer today is that you would see how important it is for us as a, as a family, as a believer, you're God's extended grace to you. And it's not for you just to hold. It's for you to extend. And can we set aside grievances, past hurts, offenses? Put your sword away. Put your gun back in the holster. And just be this week. Can you just be and not rise to the accusation. Don't give in to the temptation. Don't fall for it. It's a trap. And there's an enemy out there that wants to keep your family shackled. And you could be the one. And maybe it's because you didn't know the Lord and, and, and you're still living with that, those past mistakes. And and all of us have that. But the truth is, today, you know what the heart of God is. That you would show honor and respect to everyone that you come in contact with. 
because you could be the only Jesus that they see. And if they can see you put away your gun and you not hold them accountable for things that you're certainly not wanting to be held accountable to, then could that shift their heart and make that heart fertile soil for somebody? Maybe it's you, maybe it's somebody that you're praying for to come alongside them that can speak truth and their heart can be fertile soil because of how you chose to not fight them this week. That being said, if that's you, I mean, like you're, you're thinking about Thursday or you're thinking about this weekend or something and, and you know you are going to be across the dinner table with somebody. You're going to be under the same roof with somebody this week, this season. And you just got that pit in your stomach knowing, man, this is not something I'm looking forward to. And maybe the last time you really laid an egg. But you also recognize that that's not God's plan. And that he can't use that. If you'd be willing to just stand and say, hey, that's me. I, I, I'm, I am not looking forward to Thursday. I'm not looking forward to, I've got, I'm going to have, I'm going to be under the roof with somebody that I am at odds with. And I'd just like to pray for you. Is anybody here today? need the Lord to help you. Hey, you're not alone. God knows exactly what you're walking through. Jesus himself dealt with this. His own family didn't believe him. If you're around, so would you be willing to come and just surround your family members here? If you're if you're close to somebody standing, would you would you go and partner with them? Let's let's pray together. Awesome. This is the family being the family, everybody. Hey. Don't need the details. We know all about it because we've lived it ourselves. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for creating the family of God. Thank you, Lord, for not letting us do this life alone, but preparing in advance. And every single one of us knows what conflict is like and knows hurts and knows how deep those wounds can be. But you forgave us, and so you're calling us to forgive and to extend grace and honor and respect. And God, I pray for those relationships, these individuals that have stood and said, that's me, I'm not looking forward 
There's hurt. And there's pain. And there's anger and there's bitterness and, and sticks and stones may break their bones, but words hurt worse sometimes. Father, I just pray right now for the grace of God, for the peace of God, first and foremost, to fall in this place on the hearts of these that have recognized this. This is me. Remove that pit in their stomach and God give them peace in their heart. For those hurts to begin the process of healing, Lord. That you would hold their tongues, that you would give them supernatural self-control. and that there would be healing that would happen, there would be restoration that would happen, and that there would be repentance that could come through this weekend, through this, this moment that's being dreaded right now, you can use for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.